Welcome to Think Jewish, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, and this week's Torah portion, the Torah portion of Shoftim. So we're going to take a journey, a journey which is called the Chosen Orchard for the Chosen People. That was the original title that I sent out and the importance of guarding, protecting this orchard. However, as I was working over the, uh, the class, I, I think a more appropriate name, because we're gonna go for the full gamut tonight, the all levels that we prepared, I think a more appropriate name would be The Seven Gateways, The Simplicity of Details. So, let's do this. <coughs> our Torah portion our Torah portion opens with the verse, the commandment Shoftim v'shotrin you should place titen l'cha b'chol sh'arecha you should place judges and officers Shoftim, Shoftim is a judge Shoter is what we use even in modern day Hebrew for police, an officer Shoftim v'shotrin, you shall place by all your gateways. So, before we go anywhere, you always have to know the simple mitzvah. Before you get esoteric and kabbalistic and spiritual and then to the moon and back, what is God telling us, sim simply speaking? So just know the simple mitzvah. The simple mitzvah is that in the times of the Holy Temple, in Israel, it is a commandment upon the community to set in every single city by the gateways to have a courthouse. The courthouse should have judges and the courthouse should have officers. The judge's job is to give the verdict. The officer's job is to make sure that the litigants are accepting and behaving in accordance to the dictation of the verdict. That's the simple, simple law. With this being said, Let's go ahead and take one more step here. Even though the mitzvah I told you has three criteria. Criteria number one, I told you, it is bizman habayit, in the times of the Holy Temple. Even in the times of the Holy Temple, this law of having a courthouse and officers applies only to the land of Israel. And number three, this commandment is specifically upon the community, which means the community leaders would have to implement it. Nevertheless, comes Hasidus and says that if you look at the Hebrew wording, shoftim v'shotrim, judges and officers, titen lecha. Doesn't say lachem, lecha. Lecha is singular. You, singular. Lachem is you, plural. Therefore, according to the teachers of Chassidus, this mitzvah, even though on a physical level, has to meet the three criteria. It has to meet the criteria of, in the times of the temple, in the land of Israel, by the community leaders. However, on a spiritual level, this mitzvah applies lecha to every single one of us. So, we're going to explore tonight this spiritual dynamic of how the mitzvah transcends space and time and it applies to us, you and I, here now. We have a city, we have gateways, we have to place a judge, and we have to place officers. That's what we're going to be exploring tonight. Now let's go into a medrash. Medrash has a very interesting concept, and I want to give a little introduction to the Medrash. Something I learned in a different teaching. A gateway, by definition, isn't a place. A gateway is an entrance to or an exit from a place. <laughs> you don't just build a gateway in the middle of the street, but a gateway. So therefore, the Medrash takes the approach, the homiletical teaching takes the approach with a metaphor. There's a place that God gave us. That place has gateways. And we have to 
protect with judges and officers these gateways. So let's look what the Medrash says. The Medrash gives a parable that there was a king. And the king had many children. And of all his children, he loved the most his youngest. Atakatan Mikulam. He loved the small one more than any. Okay. Another factor. It says that this king had a pardes, an orchard. And this orchard he loved more than anything else he possessed. Then the Medjish goes on to say that the king said, I'm going to take this orchard which I love more than any of my other possessions and give it to my young child which I love more than all my other children. The small one, the little one. <laughs> Yiddish based, a little Russian based actually, it's called a bajinical. <laughs> the little one, always. So therefore, the Medrash then goes on and says, this is what the real thing of the verse is telling us. That there is the orchard of God. The king is God. There is his youngest, smallest child, which he loves. As the verse in Hosea says, Ki Yisrael The Jew is little, he's small. Nar, a little one, a young one. Ohevo, I love them. And then we have the orchard which God loves more than any of his other possessions. As the verse says in Isaiah, that I, God, love justice. So now all of a sudden we're hearing that the youngest child is the Jew. And God gave his most beloved orchard to his beloved child. And what is the orchard? Justice. Justice. Interesting. Then the Medrash goes on and says that in the merit of Mishpat, in the merit of justice, God rests, Shochen, amongst the Jewish people. The Medrash doesn't stop there, and the Medrash says another thing. By the way, everything is by the Medrash. The way it works is the Medrash says a statement, and the, as it says, or this is what the verse says, everything is backed by a verse. It's not just picking things out of the hat. And then he closes off, the Medrash closes off with another interesting teaching. What is that other interesting teaching? That in this chut, that's the words, in this chut of justice, God is going to redeem us with the complete shlima, the complete redemption. Okay, let's line up what we just had in the Medrash because we've got to start moving along here. So we lined up step number one. That why does God love us? Because we are small. What is God's favorite orchard amongst all his possessions? Justice. And because God loves us, because we're small and God loves us, he gave us justice. And this justice is going to bring the gu'ul ashlema, the complete redemption. That's what we have from the Medrash. So, we have a couple of questions here. Question number one. What does our being small, nar Yisrael, have to do with justice? God loves us because we're small. And because he loves us, he gives us justice. His favorite orchard. What does justice have to do with being small? Wouldn't you think that justice has to do with being big? Young. Nar means young, small. Number one. Number two, what does justice have to do with the geulah the redemption. Okay? So those are questions we put together on the Medrash. And now let's take it to the next level. Here it's going to get a little bit Kabbalistic, people. Okay? A little introduction before I begin. There's a book called Sefer Yitzirah, the Book of Formation. It's a very Kabbalistic book. It was translated into English by Rabbi Arya Kaplan of Blessed Memory. And he has a phenomenal introduction to his translation. And in his introduction, he actually explores the different opinions that our sages have of who wrote Sefer Yitzira. There are some people that actually, I'm not talking about researchers, I'm talking about sages. They actually have the opinion that Sefer Yitzira was written by Avram Avinu. <laughs> Avraham Avinu. <laughs> no more, no less. Our patriarch Abraham. The next opinion, believe it or not, says Moses wrote it. 
Sefer Yitzhira was written by Moses. Then there's the Book of Formation. Then there's a third opinion that takes it more contemporary. So either way, the Sefer Yitzhira is, is, is a very reliable Kabbalistic book. And the Sefer Yitzhira, he explores these gateways. He explores the gateways by asking how many gateways are we talking about? When the verse says, Shoftim vishotrim, judges and, ju and officers, you shall place in all your gateways. How many gateways? And again, we're talking now on the spiritual level. We're talking about where the gateways refer to the personal I, the personal city. So what are the gateways to me? And the answer is, very good, the answer is actually an argument. One opinion, the Sifse Kohen counts nine, but we're going to go with the Sefer Yitzira that counts seven. And what are the seven? The seven are your two eyes, your two ears, your two nostrils, and your mouth. Seven gateways into the city. Take it to the next level. These seven gateways really divide into four. Seeing, hearing, smelling, and speaking. These four, these four senses, I know we don't usually refer to speaking as a sense. We talk tasting, but here it says speaking. These four are actually the manifestation of the four letters of the ineffable tetragrammaton. Yud, K, Vav, K. Seeing and hearing is Yud and He. That's the intellects. Smelling and speaking is the six male emotions. And speaking is Malchut, the feminine mystique. So we have here the seven gateways, which really is the manifestation of the four letters of God's name. Okay? Now we understand. Let's go back. I'm going to keep on getting deeper and deeper into these judges, gateways, officers. So we now understand that what? The first two, which is actually the first four gates, the first two letters of God's name, seeing and hearing, right? Four gates, two eyes and two ears, is actually the judges. Seeing and hearing is perception, understanding. In Kabbalah, the Yud of God's name is wisdom. The He is Bina, understanding. The Vav He, the smelling and the speaking, those are the officers, the emotions. We will talk about that soon. Okay? Okay. We get a little more Kabbalistic. Sefer Yetzirah, the Book of Formation, on this topic doesn't go straight to the seven gateways. He actually takes you through an evolution. He first introduces the seven double letters. It's called in Kabbalah, Shivak Fulot. Kaful means double. What are the double letters? So to remember it, you have Beged, Bagad, Kafras. Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Kaf, Pei, Resh, Taf. Why are these considered double? Because they have the dagush and rafu, the harsh emphasis and the soft emphasis. For example, bet, vet, harsh, soft. Ashkenazim don't use this, but certain Sephardic traditions have a gimel and a jimel. When you spell the name, the Turkish name, a friend of mine, Thatcher, it's not Tachur, C-H, that's Americanized. It's Tachur. They actually spell it with a jimmel. You have Shin-Sin, Kaf-Kaf, Pei-Fei, Taf-Saf. The two which I don't know, this new to me, is the Dalit and the Resh. And I was actually spending doing time doing research. And, and I see the way they spelled it in English, and I'll be honest with you, I, I can't pronounce it. But in Dalit and Resh, there's also the harsh and the soft. Okay? That means that there's seven doubles. Parenthetically speaking, I am not getting into this right now. But parenthetically speaking, the next step in the Sefer Yitzira's evolution, he goes from the seven double letters. Right? Remember that everything became to being how? Through the 22 divine letters of God's utterances. Let there be light was six letters. Yehi or, Yud He Yud, Alev Avresh. 
So really creation is all from the letters of God's utterances. So he says, from these seven double letters came the seven planets. End the parentheses. We're not going to get into that tonight. What I do want to get into is then he goes and says, and from these seven planets came the seven gateways of the human being. The two eyes, the two ears, the two nostrils, and the mouth. Why did I even introduce you to the seven double letters? Because these seven double letters, which is harsh and soft, makes an impact on everything, including our seven gateways. That means we don't really have seven gateways, we have seven double gateways. If the seven gateways come from the seven double letters, so if the seven letters are doubled, bet, vet, gimel, jimel, then obviously each of these gateways are also doubled. So now we need to get a little deeper and ask ourselves, according to Kabbalah, what is the harsh and the soft? So the more Kabbalistic language, and then we'll get to the Hasidic language, the more Kabbalistic language is Ratsui Veshuv, which in English is called ebb and flow. The entire creation from point one all began by emotion. Ratsui Veshuv, ebb and flow. So we need to explain what this ebb and flow means. But just take it on the simplest level. Again, before we get lost, let's stay simple tonight. Your life depends on what, my friend? Very simple. Ebb and flow. Breathe in, breathe out. It's that simple. All of life depends on ebb and flow. So, ebb and flow in Kabbalah language defines itself as ebb is the unbelievable reaction to absolute revelation where all you want is to return into a nothingness within the source, the mother flame, the essence of God. Give you an example that you'll know about. What happened to the two sons of Aaron when they got too close to God? They experienced an overwhelming ebb and they returned into nothingness, i.e. they died. Their soul returned back into its mother flame, into its source. So Ratsui is that intense yearning. I don't want to be here as a something. I want to be back within the bosom of my source as a nothing. That's all. Yearning. What is flow? Shuv. So the verse says, Imrat's lipcha shuv echad. In simple English, what that's telling us is that this is the experience of a deep humbleness where I negate the ego of my will, even though it's a holy will. <laughs> what do I want? I want to leave here and go back to God. That's, that sounds sweet, but it's ego. I want. But when we go ahead and we have bitul, when we can negate the ego of our will and make room for God's will, I then understand that God's will is for me to be down here and to fulfill his master plan. So, Ratsui is leave here, go up. Shuv is come back down, shashtil yingala, and do what you're told. That's the difference. In simple Hasidic language, you will know this as chesed and givura. There's chesed, and there's Givura. Thus, the double gateways each have Chesed and Givura. I would suggest that this is, the, by the way, when I say Chesed and Givura, in the language of the Alter Rebbe, you'll always find Chesed, Givura, and Anfehem, which means they're offshoots. Because in the deeper teaching of Chesedis, all seven will define itself in one or the two. Chesed and Givura. Even the middle ones, the Tferet and the uh, Yesod and Malchut have an inclination. Tferet leans more to Chesed, Yesod leans more to Gvura, and Malchut also leans more to Gvura. King is strict. Okay? So when I talk about this, I'm talking about the two and its offshoots. But basically, now we understand that everything is double. And 
you can appreciate this with what we said before. A gateway is always double. It's an entrance and an exit. We'll talk about that soon. But before we get into that, I want to share with you the simpler definition. What comes to mind? The minute I tell you that these gateways are the gateways to your city, you, and I tell you that it's a double gateway, kfulot, what's the first thing that comes to your head? The ABCs of Tanya. Right in the beginning of chapter one in the book of the intermediates, the me there you go. The immediate, the immediately as we introduce that the way of all mankind is to be an intermediate, the Al-Tareb explains, and what's the struggle of being an intermediate? Because you hear two voices. Why do you hear two voices in your head and your heart? Because you have two souls. You have the godly soul and you have the animalistic soul. Thus, we immediately understand that these gateways are double. There is the seven gateways of the godly soul, and there's the seven gateways of the animalistic soul. Simply speaking, what are you allowing into your city through your eyes? Or what are you allowing out of your city through your mouth? So really, these seven gateways are double. They're the godly soul and they're the animalistic soul. And thus we now understand that we have to have guards, judges, and officers by the gateways. Let's take it to the next step. Let's be more practical here. The Alter Rebbe writes that what? That these two, God, these two souls, the godly soul and the animalistic soul, are two judges or two kings that want to dominate your city. What is the best way to dominate a city? To dominate its gateways. You're in control of what and who goes in, what and who goes out. The minute you have that concept that you're in control of the gateways, so now you understand that each soul is putting his judge and his officer. The godly soul is telling you, don't look there. The animalistic soul is telling you, yes, look there. You got two judges. Then you got the officers. Okay? So, on every step of the way, in your seven gateways are double. Godly soul and animalistic soul. However, I want to take it to the next level. What's the next level? The next level is that within the godly soul and within the animalistic soul itself, they're double. Let's go back to what we started before. The rotsui, the shuv, the ebb, the flow, the kindness, the strictness. Let me introduce you to two people that every single one of you know. The house of Hillel and the house of Shammai. What was the difference between the two? They were both holy pure. They were both the godly soul. They were both the gateways of the godly soul. And yet, what do you see here? There's a double way because of the ebb and flow. Hillel is always lenient. Shammai is always strict. One is the manifestation of chesed. One is the manifestation of gvura. One is the manifestation of ratzui. And one is the manifestation of shuv. Ebb, flow. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Because the mimer that I'm sharing with you didn't explain how this works with the animalistic soul. But I'd like to share with you how it works with the animalistic soul based on a mimer that the Rebbe said on the second anniversary of the Rebbe becoming Rebbe. The Rebbe talks about how sacrifices come from different animals. There's the ox, the goring ox. There's the timid, whining little shepsala, sheep, lamb. So you understand that your Yetzirah is also going to work in two ways. Weakness or obnoxiousness. Same thing, chesed gvura. Some people's Yetzirah is they don't know how to say no, not to themselves and not to others. Some people's Yetzirah is that they're just so stubborn, so arrogant, that it's all gvura. So you understand that each one of these souls of the double gates are each doubled. Okay? So we're getting a clear picture now. In this conversation right now where we're up to, the city is us, you and I. The gateways are the eyes, the ears, the nose, and the mouth. Each one of them is double because you have the godly soul and the animalistic soul. 
They're both standing guard, trying to dominate what goes in and what goes out. Then we say that each one of them themselves, because of creation, being of ebb and flow, chesed gvura, kindness, strictness, each one of them is double. Now let's move on. Now we're going to get less Kabbalistic for a moment. Who are the judges? Let's start with that. Who's the judges? And why do you need judges? So let's just be practical, okay? The judges is your intellect. What did your mother and father scream at you every time you made a mistake as a child? Or maybe you were lucky. They didn't scream. They just told it you. <laughs> Use your head. What were you thinking when you did this? We expect your head to be the judge. Don't act impulsively. Stop. Think. Now, I want to share with you how serious this is. Okay? The third Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek, introduced a concept which the Rebbe has told Chassidim a lot about. You know what that's called? It's called the evil inclination in a Zaydene Zupetze. You know what a Zaydene Zupetze is? That's the silk robe, the Hasidic robe that you wear on Shabbat. So he said, the Tzemach Tzedek said, that sometimes the Yetzirah comes dressed up not like Ivan, he comes sometimes like the holy, saintly Mandela, dressed up like a whole chassid. And now, we have to understand this. So actually, the previous Rebbe told a story. I believe it's with Rabbi Yitzchak He told a very interesting story. Someone, one of Rabbi Yitzchak came to him and gave him a huge sum of money. And said, Rebbe, this is for your tzedakahs. Whatever you give, whatever you do, whatever you help, you need money. Here's money. Not long after that, comes along a guy and cries his heart out to Rebbe, I have to marry off my daughter. I have a huge dowry. And, and I just, I can't afford it. The whole shidduch is going to fall apart. So now Rebbe says... He reaches out to give him, oh, no problem, opens up the drawer where he has the whole bundle of money and all of a sudden he has doubt. What is the doubt? Should I give the whole money to this man and then help no one else? Or should I give him a nice sum of the money and leave the rest of the money for other people? Give all the tzedakah to him? No, <laughs> friends sitting here in this room, you tell me. Which one's the Yetzir Tov and which one's the Yetzir Hara? It's not so simple. You really need a judge. You need a serious judge to decide what God wants. Forget about what I want, what I feel comfortable, what I think is fair. What's the Yetzir Hara? What's God's will? So, the end of the story is, Rabbi Levitzik asked himself one simple question. When did this doubt come to me? When I received the money? and I'm gonna be driven to act? Should I act by giving it to 10 people or should I act to give it by one person? Or did the doubt come when this man's coming for money, I'm about to give it to him, all of a sudden I have a doubt. What's the doubt driving me to not do? Ah, that's the Yitzhahara. He took the whole money and he gave it to the person. You understand how difficult this is? Because they both sound holy. In this room, we had both opinions. One said give part, one said, give whole, and they were both holy. We're both thinking, what does God want? So the shofet, the shofet is not so simple. The judge has to be serious. You have to stand alert. If the Yitzhahara was black and white, life would be simple. Hello, I want you to do an Avera. Okay, at least I know what I'm talking to. But when you start coming and start telling me, listen, really, what does Hashem really want from you? Here we start going Meshige. What's about that chassid I told you about? I once told this to you in a previous class. The chassid is laying in bed and he's thirsty. And he doesn't know. What should he do? There's one urge to get out of bed and go get a drink. And there's another urge, one second. I want to stay in bed. I can't give in to indulgence. I ate. I drank enough for today. I'll survive. So one drive is to give in to laziness, stay in bed. The other drive is to give in to indulgence. You're thirsty, go drink. 
This chassid actually, he didn't have an answer. He actually got out of bed, filled up a cup of water, put it on the counter without drinking, and he went back to bed. So you understand that in the real life of really trying to protect the city, the judge isn't such an easy position to hold. Our sages tell us from the day that Adam and Eve, from the day that Adam ate from the tree of knowledge, there is no good without bad, there is no bad without good. Kind of like that yin-yang symbol, the black and the white. It really gets difficult. It gets difficult to know. So when the Torah tells you put judges, it's not simple. It's a serious job. Let's talk about the next step. Officers. Who are the officers? So now I understand, right? My Kepler, my mind is the judge. Study Torah, try as much as possible to disconnect, be objective, not subjective, and really think, who is talking to me now? My animalistic soul or my godly soul? No. Once you decide, come step two. You need the officers to enforce it. Let me tell you, the minute I say the word officers, because many of us live in such an unhealthy society, we right away think of control, forcing, punishing, right? These are the things that come to our mind. What, what are we thinking? Oh, we need an officer who's going to, yeah, oh, he's strong. He'll take care of the situation. So I'm going to ask you, please, let's put away the unhealthiness for a moment. No one needs to be forced. No one needs to be controlled. And no one needs to be punished. I want to introduce to you feelings, emotions. When your mind knows what's right, who are the officers that are going to take it from your brain to your thoughts, speech, and action? And the answer is your emotions. People, everything we do is driven by emotions. There has not been a single sale that took place with the greatest of salespersons that didn't have an emotion injected to clinch the deal. There's a reason why every real estate is going to ask you so innocently, so if you did buy this house, what would you do with this room? They're not writing your diary for you. They're actually trying to create an emotional connection. When the salesperson tells you over the phone, I have this great deal, but it's over by tonight. We're running out quickly. You have to answer me now. He's evoking fear and emotion. You don't act without an emotion. The Alter Rebbe in the first chapters of Tanya says clearly and more specifically, every action you do is driven by love. I'm doing this for her because I love her. Everything you don't do is driven by fear. I am not going to do this because I'm afraid of losing her. It's that simple. And again, love, fear, and it's offshoots. So emotions are what drive you. Let me share with you something else. For those of you that dabble with self-help books, you will come across in almost every self-help book this very interesting concept. Your subconscious mind has zero perception of fiction or reality. Zero. Let me just give you an example because I'm not sure everyone here reads these books. So there's an example given. You're walking in the parking lot. It's at night. And you hear footsteps behind you. You're starting to get a little nervous. You start picking up speed to get to your car, and you hear the footsteps behind you picking up speed. Now your heart is beating. You're reaching for your car, for your car keys, your fingers, you're sweating. And all of a sudden, you hear your best friend call out to you, would you slow down? What happened just now to your heart? So look at this. All the physiological effects of that fiction was real. The subconscious mind does not know what's real and what's not real. So how does the subconscious mind work? Do you know? The subconscious mind will translate as absolute truth. Anything that is presented to it 
with a passionate emotion. That's the facts of the subconscious mind. And that's why every single self-help book will tell you, if you don't passionately believe, if you can't passionately see, feel, taste what you want, you're not going to get it. In the world of affirmations, that's so important. The affirmations that you tell yourself passionately are the affirmations that are going to become the absolute belief system of your subconscious, which is going to define your goals, which are going to define your actions. So your emotions are your officers. Who are the ones that's going to take it from the judge to the implication are the officers. And those officers in your world and in my world are emotions. What we can get emotional about, that means my mind knows that this is right. If I can get emotional about this, if I can present it to my subconscious mind with a passionate, definite emotion attached to it, that's going to become a real belief system in my subconscious mind, which will then drive me to not dream, but set a goal, which will then drive me not to sit and hypothesize, but to take action. So the judges is what? The judges is the intellect. Study, understand, know, be alert. See who's trying to get into your city. See who's trying to get out of your city. And then you have the officers. Knowing is not going to stop you from doing something, nor is it going to drive you to do something. For that, you need the officers, which are the emotions. Okay. People, practically speaking, I can end this class right now. And the practical is so simple. It's very simple. People, you have a city. That city is you. And what happens? There are gateways into the city. And you've got to set judges and officers. Very simple. And I could stop here and this mimer would end right here and it would be beautiful. You have a practical lesson. So when you're sitting in the, in the shul on Shabbos and you're hearing this ancient commandment of in the times of the holy temple to have courthouses and cities and judges, you connect with it. You know what God's telling me right now in North Miami in 2014? However, we're not going to stop here. Why? Because the Mimer of the Rebbe in 1967 takes it to the fourth dimension. So we're going to go into the fourth dimension of this mitzvah. In the fourth dimension, the Rebbe explores something which bothers so many people so often. And that is Judaism has the potential of being such a beautiful spiritual religion. Why do we destroy it with so many finicky details? Why? Think about that for a second. Let me tell you a simple thing. If you don't know the laws of Passover Seder night, you're going to have a spiritual experience. If you know the laws, you're going to go mishiga. Did I eat enough matzah? Did I not eat enough matzah? Did the matzah touch the wine? It didn't touch the wine. Do I keep kabrochs? Do I not keep kabrochs? How much of the kabrochs did I eat? <laughs> you go nuts. What is up with God? Why is he so finicky? Details, details, details. Why does God have to do this? Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about last week's Torah portion. You remember the laws of kosher? How many of you people sitting here have ever had the amazing experience of calling up a rabbi all frantic? Oh my God, rabbi, I came home and you got to understand, I cooked the power of a pasta in a meat pot, but I ate it on a dairy plate with a dairy fork. So you call up the rabbi. All you're trying to do is be a good Jew. And here comes the questions. 
Was it hot or was it cold? When was the last time you used a pot before this? When was the last time you used a fork before this? When was the last time you used a plate before this? And you're like, come on. All these details, all these details will define if I'm keeping kosher or not. If I just keep the regular, I'll tell you what it does to me. It makes me want to ask God every once in a while, God, did you ever hear the kiss rule? Keep it simple, sweetie. So many details. It seems to destroy religion. So let's go over this. Let's go back to the beginning of what I started talking to you about. I introduced you to a medrash that spoke about God's favorite of everything he owns. He has one orchard which he loves more than anything. What is that? Justice. Then I introduced you to a small Jew, the smallest nation, the youngest nation, right? I quoted to you from Hosea, Kinar the small. Let's go back to that. Remember, we had the question to ask, right? We had the question to ask that we ended up understanding that there is God loves the Jewish people because they're small, young, nar. God loves justice. And God gave justice to his favorite orchard, to his favorite child. And then we said that that's going to bring Mashiach. And we asked you, what's the connection, right? That's the question we put on the table. Let's go back to all of this. What is the definition of small? What does it mean the Jewish people are small? According to Kabbalah, according to Chassidus, according to the fourth dimension of this mimer, the definition of small is emunah shuta. A small child's faith. One of the most amazing stories with the Rebbe is that at a private audience, a great big scientist came, a non-religious, secular Jew, and he questioned the Rebbe, and everyone wanted to know the answers. What did the Rebbe tell you? What did the Rebbe tell you? And when he walked out, and they, they, he tells the Rebbe, he tells the Chassidim, listen, I'm not going to share with you my questions and my answers, but I just want to share with you one thing. I've never seen such a bright mind with such a child's faith. Every single Jew has within him or herself a munah pshuta, the child's faith. So there is the great big power of the mind, the power of understanding, the power of extrapolation, the problem of dissecting, the, problem of cre- the, pro- the power of creating, ingenuous. It's just unbelievable. Ingenious, not ingenuous. So what do we say here? All that is one thing. Why does God love us? Not because we're the greatest startup nation. Not because we have created aggregation for the entire desert. Not because the entire world depends upon our technology and our medicine breakthroughs. God loves us kinar Yisrael. Because we're a child. We've got emunah pshuta. So now we understand when it says that God loves us because we're small, we're talking about that pure, simple, childish faith in God that lies within the pintelier, the essence of the Jew. When we talk about the orchard, what are we talking about? Justice. What is justice all about? Justice is about details, 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 details. The judge has to be able to completely embrace all the potential lies of the litigants, all the potential truths of the litigants. And to do that, that will depend upon his capacity of being able to creep into the mind, heart, and shoes of the litigants. So here we have the simplicity of a munapshuta, pure child's faith. There is zero details in a child's faith. When you ask a child, who are you praying to? He doesn't start telling you, well, there's the name of the 26 letters. And then there's the name of the 72 letters. And I'm trying to evoke compassion. I'm trying to talk to the king. He doesn't know nothing. He answers you, who am I talking to? God. Emunapshuta. Who is God? God is God. There's no complexity. There's no understanding. He's God. And then on the other hand, you have the justice. All the details, the finicky details. And the secret of tonight is the simplicity of details. Now let me share with you this. Many of you in the room will understand this firsthand. The great 
the great entrepreneur, the great thinker, the great creative person, all these great minds who get so bent out of shape when it comes to details. These are great minds. I told you before, I mentioned to you Michael Gerber, right? His book, The E-Myth. He has it all set up. You have the entrepreneur and you have the manager. The entrepreneur, the worst thing you can start doing to him is start discussing details. He gets enraged. He is so bothered. In French, they say, leave me alone. Don't, don't, don't go there with me. That great mind of the creator, the in, ingenious inventor, that entrepreneur is really small because he's stuck in not getting involved with details. If you talk to me about the simple faith that's expressed in details, you're talking about the one who can actually take his overwhelming passion and love and define it into detailed, structured behavior. I'm not going to just sit by the table and look at you all Google-eyed, lost in my love to you. But rather, I'm going to plan a great evening with all the details. I know which restaurant you like. I know where you like to sit in the restaurant. I'm paying attention. I really love you. I'm paying attention to details. Now you're talking about the beauty of the essence. Because the essence of a Jewish faith, it lies in the details of what we're willing to do and what we're willing not to do. Because we are that omnipotent power of simple faith, we can express it in absolute, fine, and finicky details. Think about the person who only knows he wants to build a, a beautiful, huge, humongous house, a palace, but has no pictures of what he wants in it. I just know I want a big. <laughs> Ever speak to these people? What do you want? I just want a big. <laughs> Well, what do you want in the big? What color do you want? What molding? That doesn't make a difference. Just make it big. I want all my neighbors, their eyeballs to come out. That's, that's nothing's going to happen with that. The omnipotent essence, the echad, defines itself in the details of what I eat, how I dress, what I say, where I go, what I do in details. So now, people, while we talk about the great big minds being limited in not being able to get into details. We talk about the connection between the nar, the beautiful, simple, omnipotent essence faith of a Jew with the mishpat. You now understand how the two go together. Where does the essence of the soul of a Jew really express its faith in God? Not in its spirituality. It's just, yeah, I believe I'm Jewish but in the details of what I believe and what I'm willing to do for God. Now, if you understand that the essence relationship between a Jew and God expresses itself in details of justice, you now understand why Mashiach coming depends upon this. Mashiach is all about revealing that young child's faith within you, that oneness with God. Okay, people, let's close it up now. Now, let us close it up with the fourth dimension of practically speaking. Tell me of the depths of your commitment and concern for Israel. Tell me the intense concern and commitment you have over the anti-Semitism in Europe and some countries of Latin America. And I will respond to you that your depth, your concern, and your commitment isn't great enough. Tell me of a detailed commitment to strengthen Jewish identity here and now, and I will marvel in awe of a small Jew 
with omnipotent commitment in God's orchard. Tell me of the Shabbos candles you light with your daughters, that's filling you down with your sons, and your commitment to come to shul as a family on Shabbat. For the protection of the soldiers in Israel, the Jews in France, and the students on American university campuses. And I will ask you how I can help make your commitment grow amongst the rest of us. So people, let's sum it up in one line. The essence, the reality of true Jewish identity, success, caring, feeling, commitment, concern is not about sitting there and trying to be the biggest, most unbelievable Yiddish kvetcher that ever existed. And this one tells you it's bad, you're going to have to say it's bad. It's horrific. This one here is it's horrific. Horrific. It's never been like... We sit and we do that beautifully. We sit and dramatize and dramatize and dramatize. We dramatize about the, the issue in Israel. We dramatize about the issue in France. We dramatize what's going on with the Muslims growing in London. We dramatize about what's going on in Costa Rica and in Venezuela. But we don't get it to a detailed thing. So what am I going to do to help that Jewish student who's facing the MSA, Muslim Student Association, on every American campus? Tell me, what am I going to do with a detail what am I going to do? I don't have a million dollars. I cannot fly down to Israel and protect the soldiers. So tell me, what am I going to spiritually do to be my participation in the protection of God over the, uh, the soldiers in Israel? That's what's real. Kinar Yisrael, because of the simple, intense, omnipotent faith, therefore mishpat. Let me get detailed. Let me talk about what I'm going to do in detail that's real. That's the mitzvah you're hearing about. Protect your infinite garden with detailed commitment. Thank you, people.